Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Joanna Fortune's with us once again uh, to give out some parenting advice. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, here's your first question. We need help with our one-year-old girl. She's in crash full-time Monday to Friday and in the last month, the bedtime routine has become toxic. We think we do all the right things, calm the evening down, go upstairs around seven, have a nice quiet play, move on to pyjamas and bedtime stories. But recently, as soon as the stories are over, the messing and antics begin. She won't stay in bed. She won't stay in a room. She wants to go downstairs to see her older brother or see her her mother. Basically, any excuse to get out of the room. Right now, the bedtime routine has gone from an hour to anything from three or four hours. Most nights, she is now crying herself to sleep and won't let us soothe her. It's the same behaviour with either me or her mother, and we don't know what actions to take to resolve this. It's putting a lot of stress on our family and also our couple's relationship. Each night I am dreading uh, come seven o'clock, I get stressed and angry with her, and then I hate myself for being angry with the four-year-old. I know how ridiculous this is, but at the time it's so hard to deal with. Any help or advice would be greatly appreciated right now. At least she's not saying she's thirsty. That's that's usually what I've encountered. It's a very thirsty time. time. Oh yeah. Um, but you know what? It also sounds like she's in crash full time. So uh, you know that could mean anything to different people. But generally, let's assume that's like a full time hour. She could be forty hours a week. That's a long time to be away from your parents. Mm. You're prone to a lot of stimulus, a lot of other kids' thoughts and feelings and actions. And when you do get home to your family you're like great stuff I've so much to catch up on with you all you know in some way kids can feel like the day is beginning with you Mm. because you parted so long ago and for them it's a full day ago and it sounds to me like she has a build up of energy at the end of the day you know partly because she's been separated from everyone and she just wants to play so what I'm going to say You know, I don't know in this letter that, you know, you say we play a nice, quiet type of play. I don't know what that exactly means, but and what I'm going to say might be kind of um, counterintuitive, but I'm going to suggest you do the opposite to nice, quiet play for a period of time. I think you've got to do the kind of running and chasing and you've got Mm. to burn off some of her energy and give her that play outlet. And even 15 minutes, 20 minutes of that leading into the wind down. You know, you could play a game of chasing, then you could have to chase upstairs or you could end your downstairs busy play with something like, let's do animal walks, funny walks, we'll stomp like elephants, we'll roar like lions, but then we're going to crawl like little mice and float like butterflies. So you're gradually regulating down, but you're starting with that burst of high energy play and then you can butterfly your way to the bedroom. (laughs) You know, you can do that. (laughs) But it is actually an opportunity to get her laughing and moving And I think that's the piece that's missing here. I do think then when you get her upstairs and you're doing your typical routine, whatever that might be, I don't know, is that bath, then jammies, then bed, then Mm. story. You also want to do the whole kind of body scan with her. So when she's lying down and you've done all those bits, you say a nice, quiet good night to her forehead with a little kiss, good night to her nose, her chin, her her chest, her tummy, her knee, all the way down to her tippy toes. And you've done this kind of body scan down using this kind of low melodic lullaby-esque tone of voice. And then you're backing out. But I think you're rush immediately to the quiet play, which makes total sense. You know, when you're reading it going, well, I don't want her riled up. But I don't know that she has that choice. I think she's just so excited to get back together that actually doing a ring-fenced burst of high-energy family play and gradually winding her down would be more effective than this. 
Yeah. Having said all that, this is pretty typical stuff, though. Oh, it's very typical. But, you know, the other side is she's had a prolonged separation. Yeah. And she is seeking connection and play fuels connection. Mm. So the best way that you can do it is not talk that great to see you. I mean, don't say that by all means. Yes, you know? of course. Yeah. But for her, you're going to have to do it as much as say it. And so it is that, you know, hide and seek and chasing are great activities after separation because there's you're hidden, you're found, you're hidden, you're found. And there is that running away and coming back together. So you're promoting that kind of separation and reunification in the play. And that's allowing her to process her day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my daughter wants to meet her dad for the first time. She's 15 and I've been a single parent since she was born. But she always knew who her daddy was. He's uh, never been involved in our lives for his own personal reasons. But over the last 18 months or so, she's been inquiring more about him. And she wanted to know how he was doing. We agreed she could write to him and he's responded each time. However, she wants to meet him in person. He lives in the UK, so it would involve me bringing her over there for a visit. And I'm very uncomfortable with it. While I was okay with them having a distant relationship, the man I knew when I was when I had her is not someone I would want influencing her, despite how much work he's done on himself. I can't trust him because of my experiences with him years ago. But am I wrong to deny my daughter the chance to know the man he is today? Should I let them have a chance or am I risking destabilising her if he's not the man he's portraying in the letters? Oh, I mean, this is just so complex, Mm. isn't it? I totally understand your daughter's interest and curiosity about knowing her father because she's an adolescent. She's in mid-adolescence. It's a time of self-exploration and, you know, really re-establishing yourself in relation to the world and who you are. And he is a part of her identity that is largely unknown to her. Mm. So her curiosity and interest, that's not going to go away. So how you handle this has to be very mindful of the fact that you can can't say to her, no, so therefore never ask or think about this again or be curious about it. She will remain curious. I think you've done a really great job in starting with the letters and pay attention to the fact that he has consistently responded to Mm. her letters. So that is something that I would take as a positive. I wonder, and maybe you're already doing this, but your letter doesn't say it, you know, could you move from letters to video calls? So they're seeing each other, they're talking and structuring that initially and then letting it be a little bit more fluid if that's her preferred communication style. I'm also wondering because it's not here and there might again be a specific reason why it isn't on the cards that he would travel from the UK to see her rather Mm. than both of you having to make that journey. Now, that may or may not be, there may be very good reasons that that's not possible. But again, it's just something to explore that it might give you a greater sense of comfort or control over the situation if it's happening on familiar territory for you. And for her, by the way. Um, I also think... You know, and I'm very aware of your sentence in here that you're uncomfortable with this because she will need you there. Yes. You know, and that might be that you're quite literally there with her, sitting beside her wherever they choose to meet, or you are very, very quickly accessible and close by in that situation. I would think if the visit, if it's happening here in Ireland or in the UK, it needs to be very well planned and thought through. Nothing casual about this. Let's just see when we get there. Absolutely not. It needs to be Mm. planned. It needs to be time structured. We will meet in this location at this time until this time. Because I just think it gives you those kind of boundaries and scaffolding and she is allowed to get overwhelmed or for it not to go the way she thought or not to be managing it. She is allowed to say, 
I need to go. Yeah, yeah. And all yeah. of that has to be thought through. And because of that, and because you have your own personal experiences, thoughts and feelings of her father and with her father, that legacy piece that is still active and yeah. alive, and again, understandably, it might be worth attending with a therapist just to help prepare and process this visit. And I mean, for your daughter, you may want to go yourself for a parent session first, you know, something that's going to help you to, I suppose, really own your own activation around this so that you can stay present in her experience and separating out your fears from her experience. But your daughter might benefit from talking through with somebody what is a huge life event for her. No matter how it goes, it's a huge life event. Should the mother share with the daughter to any extent why she feels the way she feels towards her father? At 15, I would think yes. Yeah. And this daughter may already know some of her her own birth story, her Mm. own story growing up, that her mom is her parent and has always been her parent. And Mm. there's a reason her dad hasn't been in her life. And 15, 16 years ago, there was a particular dynamic that has left mom feeling uncomfortable. And because of that discomfort, I need to ask a lot of questions. I need this to go slowly. I need to make sure this is as safe as possible for you in every way, not physically, but emotionally safe for you. And as her parent, it is entirely appropriate and I would even say necessary that you speak with with him first. Okay, that we're talking about letters between daughter and father. We're talking about phone calls, a phone call. A community, not just a text, if it's possible to have a conversation about, look, she really wants to meet you. Are you prepared for that? Because I don't know that he is like there's yeah, nothing here to yeah, say that he said true. letters are very different to sitting across yeah. the table and having coffee and answering questions. Yeah. So, so I she would need to lay some ground rules. kind of. Absolutely. And slow it down. So you're not saying no, you're saying yes within this structure. So let's take our time and planning that out. Mm. It might it won't happen next week, but we are working towards it happening. Yeah. I have two daughters. My older girl, who is nine, wakes up every morning in the worst humour. We like to eat breakfast together before school. I wake up first and call them, give them time to adjust. Uh, They get dressed while I do breakfast. Lately, though, my older girl is still stuck to the bed, regardless of bedtime. She's late to the table, grunts at her sister, sometimes not making it to the table at all. I've tried calling her, giving her gentle reminders, giving her encouragement, as has my husband. Then we eventually plead and implore her uh, to hurry up. She's generally in a room doing one last thing or fixing her stuff. It just drives me crazy that everything seems to be on her terms and has a knock-on effect on them, uh, being late out the door causing more stress. She has to be encouraged every single morning to help tidy up and get herself ready. I've done the usual reward charts when she was younger and got a somewhat successful to-do list checkboard. I guess I would love to help her to uh, innately just get her up and partake in the morning routine better. This might all sound very harmless, but it is impacting on the morning in our house. Any help? Appreciate it. Oh, I mean, look, I appreciate the reward charts when she was younger. I'm not a particular advocate of them for a number of reasons. But in this context, you won't consequence her into being a morning person. No. I mean, there aren't enough stickers in the world to move somebody from a not morning person (laughs) to a morning person. So this isn't a consequency situation because now, first of all, because you've said and she's nine and she's coming into that, you know, she's in not coming in that middle childhood phase and there's a growth spurt and all of that body stuff going on. And because you've said lately she's become really grumpy and lethargic in the mornings, maybe get a blood test 
just to rule out that her iron levels are okay, that okay. everything is yeah. okay, because you know maybe she's just running a little low and it's she doesn't have the energy in the morning. I I just I'm always a fan of if there's a sudden change in how your child's behaving rule out any underlying medical before we decide Mm. that it's behavioural or emotional. Um, Aside from this, she may simply not be a sunny morning person. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And you can't will her into being one. (laughs) And it's very hard to play devil's advocate if you are the grumpy morning person. And if that's how you identify, you know who you are straight away. Mm. And if you live with a bunch of morning people, her perspective on this is the flip side of your story. She's like, these people are driving me crazy. They're talking If they the would just slow down me, and be yeah. quiet and not look at me. So the story she tells herself is likely to be very different to the one you're telling yourself about yeah. her. So try to do that perspective taking so you can mentalize, well, what is it like to be her? And if I was her, what one change would make a big difference to me in the morning? And it might be that we don't talk to her. Or we limit yeah. how many words yeah. we're using with her because there's something in here about the um, the gentle reminders, the encouragement. I don't know what that <laughs> sounds like. But in oh, the morning, I know the politeness <laughs> yeah. gets thinner and you thinner. You might want yeah. to hurry up yeah. there, yeah. might yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just think acknowledge for her her morning struggle. Look, the mornings aren't working for you. We end up fighting with each other. It's not pleasant for any of us. What would help you in the morning? It might be that you call her 10, 15 minutes earlier and it gives her more room to be a little less than ideal and to, you know, take her time and drag her heels. If someone is slow paced in the mornings, build in extra time is the first step you would do. But talk to her about it because there's something about you calling her, the gentle reminders, the encouragement that her dad going in as well and everyone pleading and imploring and hurry up and you're making us late. Mm. The level of demands and pressure are just working against you with this. So you have to find a way of speaking to her in a different way. And it might be that in her routine begins the night before when she might be a more pleasant version of herself. She does all of her school bag outfit picking, selecting, everything's laid out the night before. So that eliminates the one more thing, the organizing things. So if you leave it so that, oh, and her breakfast stuff is laid out for her, her, you know, pack the lunch the night before. Eliminate as much of the pressure in the mornings as you can and give her a little more space. And just be aware, like, who does she remind you of when she's behaving like that? And that could be yourself, each other, someone in your family, someone Ooh. you know. Just be really aware of who else do you know is a bit like that and how might it be better to respond to her? Okay. Joanna hitting a few nerves there, perhaps. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> and back away slowly. <laughs> Uh, We have a three-year-old boy who simply refuses to wear shoes. Whenever we try to put him on, it creates a massive tantrum. We bought him different types of shoe to try and find one that she feels comfortable, but none of them last. She won't engage with us on her uh, with the reasons. She happily gets her feet and socks cold and wet when she's outside. It's causing us so much stress. Uh, How on earth will she be ready for big school if this continues? Now, she's three. So you have a chunk of time before big school. So just try to stay in the moment. Don't be trying to project that far ahead because you'll tie yourself up in knots. And it is a right here, right now in 18 to 24 months, whenever she's going to school, this may not even be something you're remembering. You know, it might be, gosh, remember when she went through that phase with no shoes? We get quite a few questions in here about kids who don't like shoes, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of that, that this is quite a common thing. So don't overreact to it either. And I'm fully aware that you're like, that's all well and good, but I do need her to get outside. So if you notice that 
you know, she shows any interest in a particular type of shoe, if you're in a shoe shop, it's almost like you want to go in saying you're looking for something for yourself. So you're not putting the spotlight on pick a pair of shoes, pick a pair of shoes and just let her wander around and see, does she pick up anything? Is there something and it might be a crock? a flip-flop, you know, something loose and space. It may be she doesn't like the feeling of a shoe tight around her foot, you know, like a runner could be, um, even a sandal with a strap. Just be aware that there might be some aspect of the shoe rather than the idea of shoes in general. So play with, you know, a welly, a croc, a runner, um, an Ugg style boot, you know, I'm not saying about buy Ugg boots for a small child, they'll grow out of them mm, way before you can fast, get the yeah. price out of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but some version of that, you know, which is loose and a bit floppy and just see, oh, that's different. So now I know it might be the tightness. Now I need to be aware of that when you're making choices. Also be a bit playful with this. Do a shoe race. Put one shoe in, not not so hard that you won't find it, but put shoes in different places. Ready, steady, go. The two of you have to go and see who finds the matching pair of shoes quickest Mm. and play it that way. That's a good way to do it. Um, You could also mix up shoes in a box and let her playing at sorting and matching them. No demand or expectation. Now put them on, but just normalize shoes, playing with them, because it sounds like shoes as a concept are becoming a battleground. And you have to take the power struggle out of it so that you can get a better understanding of what's going on and work through it. Generally speaking, this is a phase. Yes. And kids do move through it. Yeah. It, it is, does it have the potential to be some sort of sensory issue? Cause, oh, it absolutely yeah. is likely to be a sensory issue. But don't hear that as, oh, my goodness, yeah, it's a big yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, with rare exception, a lot of us have some sensory sensitivity. Mm. With some people, it's at a level that it is quite impactful or debilitating in life. And the world can be very difficult when you've got sensory issues. But some of us don't like certain things, you know, texture of foods or sounds or high pitches or noises. And it may be that there is something about her feet she's sensitive to. Equally, though, Sean, it could be she likes the the sensory feeling of bare feet on the ground or the grass. It might be that that appeals rather than the shoe not appealing. Yeah. Yeah. This is a tricky one. My wife and I disagree about letting our child stand up for himself. He's being picked on in school. He's eight by three other boys who gang up and mocking him, uh, tussling in the playground, etc. The school say they're dealing with it and punishing the boys when they display bad behaviour. But this just embarrasses my son even more because it makes him feel like he can't manage things on his own and the other kids revert to more discreet ways of upsetting him. I would prefer him to hit back and call them out himself rather than running off to his teacher or the yard supervisor. I know this might mean he gets punished himself, but I think it would be ultimately be better for his self-esteem and the little feckers who are picking him might stop. My wife thinks this is a Neanderthal way of dealing with things and we should never encourage him to respond to threats physically. I feel like we've tried the right way and that's not helping him. What's Joanna's advice? When in doubt, blame Joanna. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Joanna, um, Joanna will tear your marriage apart. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other call in. Yeah. But um, do you know what, Sean? By the time a parent gets to the hit backstage, it's generally because like this parent is writing, they feel all other avenues have been explored and exhausted. And as such, the hit back idea tends to be a last resort or it's coming from frustration. We've tried it all. Nothing's working. Do you know what? Hit back. Mm. So it's because if if it was such a good solution, we wouldn't wait till it being a last resort to get to it. That in itself tells us it's not the ideal solution to this Um, because physical violence is never the answer. 
And that's essentially what you're asking your son to engage in with that. You're yeah, right. In fairness now, I think there's a bit of we have tried everything and it's not and working. And that's the piece yeah. I think is really yeah. important because most schools have what would be described, I suppose, at best as a no, go, tell. So no, stop doing that. You're upsetting me. I don't like it. Move away from the field of action, whatever's mm. happening, the people who are bothering you. And if that still doesn't work, you go and tell a grown up. And it sounds like this kid is following this protocol for mm. a long time. And there's something for me that the school, I would suggest I, we're at the very end of the school year here. So you might want to do it soon, yeah, yeah. even next week and preemptively do it for September. I would be suggesting the consequences these boys are getting are not enough. They're not having the effect. This sounds like it's becoming a pattern of conscious, targeted, repeated behaviour. And it's moving from playground antagonism into something that's akin to more bullying style behaviour, in which case enact the school's policy or have them do it. And it's not as simple as, you know, punishing the boys or embarrassing or whatever the approach here is. It may be that the school have to escalate this within policy and involve parents that this your son has tried has followed the policy. Mm. The school have done kind of entry level, you know, behavior diversion stuff with these kids and it's still happening and it's having a cumulative effect on your son's self-esteem. The thing though, Sean, about hit back is you will find studies that will say it's effective. You will. You absolutely will find those. But the greater body of clinical research says while it might be effective in the now, statistically, children who hit back are more likely to find themselves in the same situation, either with the same kids or other kids within six months. So it's not a long term solution. The research just doesn't bear it out. So because you might think, well, look, I looked it up and I saw this and definitely there are schools of thought who say you've tried everything and it can be putting your hands up. And putting that physical barrier, not hitting, but raising your hands and saying, you need to stop and move back from me. Mm. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But if your son is hitting back, it becomes a fight. They will be involved in the consequences, even though they've been putting up with this for a long period of time. And it ultimately won't serve them well, because sometimes kids who do this and seek out someone are like, now we get a reaction. We can get him in trouble, too. Yeah. And it could escalate the situation. I would bring this back to the school and say, enough. This has gone on a long time. It is targeted, repeated behavior. Whatever level of consequences or punishment is not effective. We're looking for you to escalate this within the school's bullying policy. Yeah. Will they? I think they have to. Uh, Yeah, because, you know, I don't know, this is an anecdotal thing, but sometimes you get a sense that schools will say we have a bullying policy and that's what it is. They'll wave it in front of somebody's face rather than it actually does anything. If that's anybody's experience escalate that to the board of management. The policy has to be there and it's there to have a protective function. So if it's not enacted, then the policy is not working. So if that is the response you get. And look, I think, Sean, especially with primary school age children, we should always explore softer avenues first. We should always look at can we just nip the behaviour in the bud Mm. instead of going into extreme measures. But When that fails, and that's what's failing here, not your son not hitting, it's actually the responses or consequences these kids are getting is that's what's failing. Yeah. Then that needs to be looked at. Joanne, rocket sense as ever. Thanks a million. Thank Uh, you. uh, Joanne, a fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. with Anna Glaze on News Talk.